In the reading from the book of Kings that we heard, King David has died, the great King David, and his son Solomon has ascended to the throne and is beginning his service as king of the people. And as Solomon goes to make his prayers and sacrifice, God comes to Solomon in a dream, saying, Ask what I should give you. Solomon replies to God that he wants God to give him an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. I don't know about you, but I would love to hear any candidate from any political party currently running for President of the United States to say this statement, a prayer that they would have an understanding and discerning mind and an ability to, God would bless them with the ability to discern good and evil rather than telling all of us how they already are so understanding and already know the difference between good and evil. But I digress. Solomon is asking essentially for wisdom because wisdom in the biblical sense is the ability to discern between good and evil. And that phrase, an understanding mind, it can be more directly translated and I think a better translation of an understanding mind is A listening heart. Give me a listening heart to govern your people. Solomon wants a listening heart because only through truly listening can he come to have wisdom to discern between good and evil. He must listen first. This week, the Episcopal Church commemorates the 50th anniversary of the death of one of the great listening hearts of our time. Jonathan Daniels, who is now a saint in the Episcopal Church, grew up in New Hampshire. He was a valedictorian graduate of the Virginia Military Institute. And in 1965, a young student at an Episcopal seminary in Cambridge, Massachusetts. My father-in-law, Bill Rankin, was a student there at the same time and knew Jonathan. After the attack on protesters crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, Jonathan heeded Martin Luther King Jr.'s call for clergy from the North to come to the South and help them complete the march to Selma. A friend of Jonathan said that he went in order to listen and learn and be with the people. And he ended up staying taking time off from the seminary to live with a black family and work on civil rights. 
Of his decision, Jonathan wrote, I could not stand by in benevolent dispassion any longer without compromising everything I know and love and value. The imperative was too clear, the stakes too high. My own identity was called too nakedly into question. On August 14th, which is celebrated as his feast day, Jonathan and others were arrested at a protest. On August 20th, they were quite unexpectedly and in retrospect suspiciously released from jail. A 17-year-old black girl named Ruby Sales, Jonathan Daniels, and others who had been jailed went to a store to get sodas after six days in squalid conditions. Ruby Sales posted the following account on her Facebook page this week. She wrote, Fifty years ago, Tom Coleman stood in the doorway of Cash Grocery Store with the intent to murder civil rights workers who had just been released from jail for protesting the economic exploitation of black sharecroppers by white landowners. I was among the group of civil rights workers who went to the store for sodas. My companions were Jonathan Daniels, an Episcopal seminarian, Father Richard Morrisrow, a Catholic priest, and Joyce Bailey, a local freedom fighter. When we approached the door of the store, Tom Coleman aimed his shotgun at us. I was in the front, and Jonathan was directly behind me. He pulled my shirt, and I fell back, and he received the blow of Tom Coleman's blast. He was instantly killed. Not finished, Tom Coleman aimed his shotgun at Richard and Joyce, who were holding hands as they ran for cover. Tom Coleman hit Richard in the back and side. He fell on the pavement crying for water. I thought that I was dead until I heard Joyce Bailey calling my name as she waited behind a row of abandoned cars. I crawled over to her, and we ran screaming across the street where other members of our group waited. Gloria House, a graduate student from Berkeley, Jimmy Rogers, a classmate from Tuskegee, and I went over to take care of Richard. Tom Coleman stood over Jonathan's body, waving the shotgun, and screaming that if we did not leave, he would kill us. We later learned that Father Morris Rowe was put in a hearse on top of Jonathan's dead body. He was taken to a hospital where white doctors refused to operate on him. He laid in the hallway for hours until a white army officer agreed to operate on him. 
Tom Coleman claimed that he shot Jonathan and Richard in self-defense because they had a knife. Jonathan was holding coins to purchase sodas. Additionally, he claimed that he was a deputy who was acting in an official capacity to protect the life and property of the white female store owner. We had been to Cash Store many times, and she never expressed any fear. Coleman was acquitted by a white jury, which for the first time included white women. Adhering to the custom of the day, they cast their support behind Tom Coleman. This murder occurred in Loundis County, Alabama, where, as was the case, white men had the legal cover to kill anyone who threatened the well-being of a systemic white supremacist southern region. Ruby goes on to end her post saying, Fifty years later, state-sanctioned murders run deep in America. What inferences and conclusions do you draw from this? Whether or not we agree with Ruby Sales' statement, we must come to terms with the reality that those who have had direct experience of race-based police violence do see a connection between the violence that they experienced in the 60s and the violence of unarmed black people dying at the hands of police today. In the 90s, Ruby Sales attended the same seminary where Jonathan Daniels had been a student. I had the honor of being a student there with her at the same time. Like Solomon, Jonathan Daniels sought to discern between good and evil and then worked for good. He gave his life for another, the truest act of love. This is the bread of life Jesus refers to in the gospel, the sacrifice of self for others. Later in his life, Solomon's heart stopped listening. He became a cold, ruthless ruler, chasing after other gods. Continually cultivating a listening heart is the only path to true wisdom. When we stop listening, we lose who we are. A dear friend of mine is in Alabama this weekend for the 50th anniversary Jonathan Daniels pilgrimage. And he wrote that the most powerful part of the pilgrimage was the sharing of life stories among this diverse group of pilgrims. Everyone from people who were there the day Jonathan died to young teenagers learning about racial justice and equality and peace and nonviolence. I was deeply moved by the listening hearts of our youth on our mission trip to Memphis 
as they listen to the stories of homeless people and people who continue to work for racial justice. Having a listening heart means hearing stories we might not otherwise hear or might not want to hear. When we have a listening heart, we act in love for good and against evil. It can cost us everything. But Jesus said that in losing our lives, we find them. Or as Jonathan Daniels wrote, not long before he was murdered, I lost fear in the Alabama black belt when I began to know in my bones and sinews that I have truly been baptized into the Lord's death and resurrection. That in the only sense that really matters, I am already dead. And my life is hid with Christ in God.